Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. As the expression goes, a win is a win. And I think there is plenty to take from the Colts defeating the Jacksonville Jaguars 34-27. There is plenty to take from that game and say, all right, that was good. All right, that was good. All right, that was impressive. All right, that was sensational. You also gave up 27 to the Jacksonville Jaguars who were able to run all over you for 243 yards. We should discuss this. I think we need to. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. JMV joins us right now. It's always good to have JMV with us here. He is on 93.5, 107.5, the fan from 3 to 6 p.m. Uh, you, you were there in the press box watching uh, th- this game. And look, you've got Matt Ryan going for 42 completions, 42 for 58, uh, 389 yards, three touchdowns. This is what happens when you have no running game whatsoever. And this is nothing against Deion Jackson or Philip Lindsay. I happen to like them both. But, man, no running at all for the Colts. But let's start with your overall take of this game. Hey, Tony, you know what? You educate your audience every single morning, Monday through Friday, right here, on a variety of things they need to be educated on. And we did on Friday, if you remember, because we both brought this up. What did they do yesterday that was different than they did, you know, a week from Thursday prior in Denver? And that is they went faster. Frank Reich said after the game yesterday that they went all in on going up-tempo. And they had quicker rhythm type of, of slants. They had the screen game going. Everything to help out an offensive line that is among the worst in the NFL going into last week. So they did exactly what we had talked about. In fact, I was screaming during that Denver game at the half. I said, you guys got to make some adjustments here. You're going to get your quarterback killed. They did make adjustments last week. That's what they did. So we're keeping your audience ahead of the curve, so to speak, here and educating them on the Colts because that's exactly what won them the game yesterday. That's why this offense was unlike what we have seen consistently, this offense being so far through the first five weeks of the season, Tony. So let's uh, start with uh, th- this offense. Is, is this an offense that's finally figured it out? Let's. I mean, uh, the the kudos are absolutely no sacks. They changed around that offensive line, and the problem is they also weren't able to run against uh, Jaguars pressure. So where are you on this? Well, I mean, listen, I, I don't know. This does sound kind of gimmicky a little bit. Don't get me wrong, but you had to try to do something, and they did do something, and that was a, a game you absolutely had to have. I, is this long-lasting? Yeah, I'm not sure. I guess we could ask the similar question about, you know, Dennis Kelly. This is another decision that Frank Reich and company ended up making. Left tackle, they started Bernard Ryman, the rookie. That didn't work. Obviously, Matt Pryor wasn't working over there. And they put in a guy that we all kind of had won where he had been. He is that veteran guy at left tackle. And, and he even last week, Tony, had wondered why he wasn't getting any reps considering the way this offensive line was playing yesterday. And, you know, outside of maybe one holding call, I thought he he looked pretty good. I thought he did help out that offensive line. We'll see, because they go to Tennessee coming up on Sunday. That is a mammoth game. And if this offense, if it's more than just, you know, kind of smoke and mirrors with this offense, is what we saw yesterday from Matt Ryan going to be legit? If what we saw yesterday consistently now from, from uh, Michael Pittman Jr., from Alec Pierce, is that going to be legit? 
then that's what we're going to see against the toughest team within the division easily in the Tennessee Titans. But I'll give you another example. Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce didn't play in week two down in Jacksonville, and that was a significant upgrade that we saw yesterday. Those guys are huge offensively. Yeah, we're talking about uh, 16 receptions overall, about 183 yards between the two. Talking to JMV from 93.5, 107.5, the the, the fan. Let's get into a Matt Ryan conversation uh, really quick. Um, It's very obvious once they got uh, that touchdown in, in the second quarter, uh, and that they were like, oh, oh, that's right. We know how to do this. And did you see the return of, oh, that's what they call Matty Ice. That's the guy from the Atlanta Falcons. That's the guy who could just move the ball. That's the guy who's fearless. Did you see that a level of confidence just come right into them? Yeah, compared compare the two times, too. Uh, before yesterday with the offensive line, he had basically less – two seconds to get rid of the ball yesterday he had over two seconds and with that quick rhythm offense that they were going and the up tempo that helped out a great deal so he was more like vintage Matt Ryan there's no doubt about that see people came at me on Twitter last night saying hey I told you this is what Matt Ryan is going to be like I told you you're too hard on Matt Ryan the problem is you had to be because he fumbled the ball 11 times. He threw seven interceptions through the first five weeks of the season. So that is, even though the offensive line was playing horribly, that is also on him for decision-making and not protecting the ball, and that is essential for a quarterback to do. Is he going to be that way moving forward? I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I certainly like this offense, considering what they did yesterday and the points that they put up and really finally getting a cohesive nature with that offense. And remember, playing without, again, both Naheem Hodge and Jonathan Taylor yesterday, which was also key. I like what they did against the team that most recently, Tony, has really had their number on the defensive side of the football. We'll see. Tennessee is going to come off a bye week. We'll see if Tennessee comes back, you know, and not playing for a week, if that's going to be a deal down in Nashville for him. The problem with Tennessee is it's something that Jim Irsay is really jealous about with the Titans. He wants his team to be more like the grinding, the tough-natured, strong-willed type of team. That's been certainly a lot more Tennessee than it has been his Colts. He's smitten about that. He wants this win. We'll see if the Colts are going to be tough enough to go down there and take it in that on Sunday. Let's move it to the other side of the ball really quick while I still got about 60 seconds or, or, yep. or so. Um, they give up over 200 yards on the ground, but uh, Okariki, Franklin, uh, I actually texted you. Who in the world is Rodney McLeod? Um, four <laughs> sacks on the day. These guys were everywhere. Yeah. This defense feel good and feel like, oh, yeah, we can win without Shaquille Leonard? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the one thing they can't do, Tony, and you saw this a year ago, is they can't turn the ball over. You know, Shaquille Leonard had all the turnovers a year ago. He's the reason why the defense was any good a year ago. And that's a one significant thing you can tell. People will say, well, you know, Zaire Franklin's leading the league in tackles. You know, we don't really miss Shaquille Leonard. Yeah, yeah you do, because you don't turn the ball over at all. He was a turnover machine a year ago. You absolutely missed that. And Rodney McLeod, as you mentioned, was all over the field yesterday, which was a good thing. And I guess also a bad thing sometimes because he was normally going after guys who were, you know, 25 yards into the defensive backfield on the run, as we saw the Colts team give up a lot on the ground yesterday. That has to be fixed, but there are certainly good signs, Tony, on both sides of the football moving into the biggest game of the season coming up 
on Sunday, a game that you absolutely have to have. I think he brings up an interesting point that the Titans win would be more important than the Jaguars win. I, I think they, but I think that's kind of manipulating the the, the data. Right, because I don't think there's any question that for the Colts not beating the Jaguars, you would never get out from that story. Going zero and two against the Jags, you it would never ever end. It would be all right. Now you got to get rid of Coach Reich. Okay, now you got to get rid of this one. Okay, now you got to do that. I think people view the Titans differently, especially if if if. You agree with JMV, and, and I think he brings up a solid point about maybe the inner workings of, of Ursay, who he would know certainly better th- than I would. By the way, JMV, 93.5, 107.5, the fan, 3 to 6 p.m. Be sure to check him out, that he he likes what it is that the that that the Titans pl- do and, and, and how they engage and, and how they how the, how they play. Um but but I would argue that the the Jaguars win is actually a a bigger one that if they lost to the Titans, they could handle it better than losing to the Jaguars. Just just nobody wants to lose, but they could somehow handle that loss better. It could be more palatable. Uh, I think that the story here is that and 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 I do I really do believe once they got that first touchdown. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, we do know how to play. Like, you could actually kind of see the the shift take place. You could you could feel it take place. And certainly you saw it in, in, the, in the third and fourth quarter. And, again, they have not given up a point in the fourth quarter. The Colts have not given up a point in the fourth quarter this, this season. They didn't give up any sacks. These are huge, huge things. But they, they didn't look like a panicked team trying to march down the field. And they knew that they could do a, they could hit a field goal. How, by the way, has this team signed Chase McLaughlin? Like, like is he now the full time guy, or is he still getting called up from the practice squad, or whatever the case it is? I mean, he was two for two on field goals. He hit both his extra points so far, pretty dang solid. And I think people people are happy. But it was this idea that you know they could have easily just run the ball, run the ball yard to yard, get to the right ha- proper hash mark for them, and then boom, you know, kick. He throws it, and he throws it to the rookie, right? A quarterback believing in 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 his receiver, a receiver who clearly wants to to show that he's that he's worthy. And Ryan's like, "Yeah, I've thrown this pass before. I know how to throw this pass." Bloop! It was good. Come on, it was very very worthwhile stuff. So I, that sense of belief. If they don't win this game, I I think you're m- so much further away. Now you're in a place where fans are like, you know what, this team can do it. They may not do it every week, but they can do it, and that's a that's a step in the right direction. That is my take. We'll talk about the Titans in a couple days. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Now, you know me by now. I never believe just one poll, and I think polls are very, very untrustworthy. I think this conversation about the shy right voter, which... Trafalgar referred to as a submerged Trump voter is is wholly accurate. I just don't think that Trump is the mover that other people do. I I don't see it. I don't feel it. I'm not there. I'm just not there. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. I get why people talk about Trump. Trump, 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 Trump. And oh, he puts himself in the news all the time. 
Someone asked me yesterday, I was on News Nation, you know, Trump's joining the campaign trail. I'm like, well, he's always on the campaign trail. But I think the bigger story here is the amount of people who don't want to be around Joe Biden. Barack Obama's hitting the campaign trail. Because they want you to forget that Joe Biden's president. Because Joe Biden is not an asset, he's a liability. And I'm sure there are some people who are going to be more than happy to campaign with him. There's this whole thing going on in, in Oregon. Real, Oregon is, and I, and I admit, I have not talked much about this race. This race is fascinating because the, the Democrat is getting punched in the face. You've got Tina uh, Kotek, who is running in, in that race. And one of those people is Phil Knight. You might know the name Phil Knight. He owns this little company called Nike. Perhaps you've heard of it. And he is all over this going against the, 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 the Democrat. He's actually pushing for the independent, not necessarily the Republican, because of the absolute horrific policies that have been in place in the state of Oregon. He, he was talking to the New York Times and said, one of our political cartoons after our legislative session had a person snorting cocaine out of a mountain of white. It said, which of these is illegal in Oregon? And the answer was the plastic straw. He refers to, by the way, that's hilarious. He, he refers to himself as an anti-Tina person, meaning the Democratic candidate. So he has been working on the campaign of Betsy Johnson, former Democrat running as an independent. So it's not that this guy is a conservative, and no one should think that he is. But it does go about a discussion regarding when you've had enough. I have been saying this about Democrats for years. This is actually an expression or, or, or a thought process that comes from my father. When you live in, in, in a place where you see the Democrats failing or the Democrat failing again and again and again, same person constantly elected, like Congressman Andre Carson in Indianapolis. He didn't earn anything. His, his mother was Julia, or his grandmother was Julia Carson, and he's got the name, and so boom, he's the guy. What is this dynasty stuff? This is silly. I don't make the argument, hey, why don't you vote for Republicans? Although tr you could try something else, and I would vote for conservatives, and Republicans might let you down, conservatives might let you down, but at least you could try something else for a while. Or you could try a different Democrat. Who in the world said you had to only vote for Andre Carson? Why can't you vote for someone different? Why can't you take it upon yourself to vote for someone else? Don't you deserve it? Don't you deserve somebody who will actually do the job for you, will listen to you? If you're not getting what you want, why don't you try someone else? Why can't you do that? I have never, ever, ever understood it is beyond me. If I have a, a Republican or a conservative to vote for and they're not doing the job, I'll push for another one. 
Why? They're the only person who could do it? Well, they're the incumbent. So what? Well, if you challenge them, the Democrat might win. They're not doing good. Let's get somebody who will. That's a rational point of view. That is a cogent argument. If you live in a place like Indianapolis that has the um, registration uh, gap or, or you know, f- in, in favor of the Democrats, well, just vote for another Democrat. What, do you, you, you really think you're going to lose something there? It's very difficult for a Republican to win because you have these people who vote solely exclusively just based on the D or the R, and they don't even think about anything else. They don't ask any questions about anything else. It's, it's, it's beyond confirmation bias. It's pathetic. The Philadelphia Inquirer endorsed uh, John Fetterman for Senate. John Fetterman cannot answer a question. He can't. It's not because I'm rude. I'm not an ableist. This is John Fetterman this weekend, the Democrat running for Senate in Pennsylvania. Send me to Washington, D.C. Take on to make sure I push back against work to work. I think he meant to push back on right to work, which, of course, him being just a union zealot. Why should you have any say in your uh, employment whatsoever? Why should you have choices or rights or anything else? Remember, Fetterman doesn't actually believe in the secret ballot. Once he has power, everybody else should have to show who they're voting for and then explain their vote. But of course, they could change their vote to do the right thing. What? That is, you do away with the secret ballot, uh, that's, that's exactly what's going to happen. That's the guy that the Philadelphia Inquirer said, yep, best for Pennsylvania. Nonsense. That's insane. That's insane. It's madness. But this is what we see. But there are a lot of interesting races. And I think New York, that governor's race, is one of them. I think Lee Zeldin might actually have captured some people's attention. I don't know if you saw the latest from the Republican. Uh, he's uh, in in uh, New York. He's he's in the park, and so you know those guys who set up and play chess, play speed chess, and they're incredible. They're hustlers. He starts playing one of those guys in speed chess. He really does get relatable a lot better than uh, than Kathy Hochul, the current governor. But you got to vote for the D after the name. You got to vote for that. So, you know, they won't do what could be better for them. They'll do what's expected of them. I think that's no way to vote. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. We talked about the problems in Indianapolis, but we see these problems all across the country. This violence issue, this degradation issue, this lack of call it humanity uh, issue. And we still have people out there who want to push the idea of defund the police. And then we have people politically who will claim that never happened. That never got said. Look at all the money that the left is spending on policing. The attitude, 
The belief that somehow the police are all traitors and deserve whatever they get, the ambushing that we saw in Connecticut, the things we've seen in other places, this is not ending. And when we talk about what's going on with crime, what's going on with the perception of danger, we see that Starbucks on the circle is going to close. And this has created for people a tremendous amount of what's uh, questioning what's going on here. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Cindy Carrasco joins us right now. She is the Republican candidate for prosecutor in Marion County. You put out a statement uh, regarding the closing of this Starbucks. What is it that you said and where do you see the problem? Well, good morning, Tony, and thanks for uh, having me uh, to speak to uh, your listeners. Indeed, Starbucks is closing. And just last week, uh, Ryan Mears and I had a debate where he said that downtown is safe. He didn't say it just once. He said it twice. And I was shocked. Um, And much to my surprise, uh, late last week on Friday, uh, Starbucks put out a press release saying that they were closing their downtown uh, circle location, which is incredibly sad because that story is a hallmark of of the city. But it's not the closing that's the problem. It's the reason that they cited for closing the store that's the problem. That press release said that they cited safety concerns. So think about that. You've got a prosecutor who just four days earlier said downtown is safe, downtown is safe. And then fast forward to Friday, where Starbucks is closing their store because of safety concerns. So which one is it, uh, is the question that I'm asking. And I, I'm saying it's, it's not safe. And I know that there are efforts to make sure that downtown um, becomes safe and appears to be safe so that we can get on our merry way and be on the right track once again. But the perception is that downtown is not safe. I've talked to lots of people all across this campaign. We're going into 11 months of having this campaign. And the number one thing that I have heard across the entire central Indiana region is that they don't feel that the downtown area is safe. And that's the perception that we have to start to overcome. Talking to Cindy Carrasco, you can find out more about her. Cindy, C-Y-N-D-I, Cindy for Indy, F-O-R, Cindy for Indy, uh, dot com. Uh, I believe that the perception is that downtown Indianapolis is not safe uh, either. Is this solely and exclusively the fault of Ryan Mears, the current prosecutor? Is this the issue of the mayor? Is this the city county council? Do you engage levels of percentages towards these people, towards these entities as to how we got to this place? Or what about the actual residents themselves? Where does the blame lie? And then what is your thought process as a prosecutor on how to go about fixing it? You know, it's about teamwork. Um, In order for us to really start changing the perception about the downtown area being safe, it's going to take it's going to take everybody. It's going to take the city council. It's going to take the mayor. It's going to take the prosecutor. But the prosecutor has great influence to actually make a difference into uh, how people feel uh, or they don't feel coming downtown. And part of the reason that they tell me they don't feel safe is because they hear about the level of crime that's happening out on our streets. And it's not just crime that randomly happens. It's crime that's committed by repeat violent offenders that this prosecutor continues to put out on our streets through cutting sweetheart plea deals, 
um, that is contributing to to the perception, uh, to the stories that we hear every single day about uh, somebody being shot or somebody being stabbed or some other violent crime that's been committed with our city. So, yes, it'll take everybody, but it absolutely has to start with a prosecutor who is going to take fighting crime seriously. Now let's continue this conversation. Let's move it down the road uh, a, a little bit further. I appreciate that it needs to take everybody, but everybody has to be doing something. You stare at these issues. You're talking about them every day. What is the something? Is there a specific that if we would just start doing X, we believe or you believe that we would see a response of Y and that response is going to be far better for all of us? You have to start holding uh, criminals accountable. The tone that this prosecutor has set is that you can come into Marion County, commit whatever crime you want, and you're not going to be facing a pretty significant uh, punishment. Uh, I continually heard this prosecutor over the course of two different debates uh, that we've had. We had one a couple of weeks ago over at uh, the North Shayland Alliance uh, Forum. And I had so many people come up to me afterwards telling me that his position was that of a social worker. Now, all of these social work programs that he's focusing on may be great, but criminals aren't going to want to be incentivized to participate in those social programs unless they know that the cost of committing a crime is worse. And that's what the problem is. We need to start holding people accountable. We need to start setting the tone that it's not good for criminals to come and do business here in Marion County. We've come very far from that, uh, from, from, from setting that tone for, for criminals. Now people come into Marion County and know that if they commit whatever crime, if they recruit our uh, juveniles to commit crimes, that they're simply going to get slaps on the wrist. Cindy Carrasco joins us right now. Uh, she is the candidate for prosecutor, Republican uh, candidate, Cindy, C-Y-N-D-I, Cindy for Indy, uh, dot, uh, com. Uh, you're, you're, you're in the position. You, you get uh, elected. You're the next prosecutor. How is working with Mayor Hogsett? Are those conversations going to be rough? Are they going to be smooth? The, you know, it's it's one thing to engage in campaigning. It's another thing to engage in in the doing. Well, you, you, you campaign in poetry, you govern in prose, I think is sometimes the expression that gets used. Uh, it's day one of Cindy Carrasco as prosecutor. What's the conversation with the mayor like? The conversation with the mayor is, hey, we want the same thing. And so if we want to do, uh, we want to get um, Marion County back to being safe and vibrant, then we're going to work together. We're not going to agree on all 10 points, but we may agree on five. We may agree on seven of the 10 points that we need in order to be able to start changing the trajectory of our city. And that's okay. Listen, I have experience working with people um, from all different uh, political affiliations. Um, my background in state government taught me that. I have that ability to be able to understand how to work with others uh, to get things done. We've seen three years of Ryan Mears having the opportunity to be able to make a change for our city. And it's no coincidence that in those three years, Indianapolis has had the worst crime uh, history uh, in, in its history. 
three years um, in our city, in our downtown, in our entire uh, area is is just become something that it, it just simply wasn't even five years ago. And that's due in large part because there is no relationship uh, with a variety of stakeholders. I don't see the mayor and uh, Ryan Mears working together hand in ha- hand on a solution uh, to fix some of these issues that we're seeing. I don't see Ryan Mears working uh, together in lockstep with law enforcement so that we can have that those basic fundamental fundamental partners working together to fight crime. I don't see Ryan Mears working with all of the faith-based organizations, with the nonprofit organizations that I've been talking through to throughout this entire uh, campaign. They, they keep telling me, Cindy, we just, we just want to partner. We all want the same thing. We're fed up with the violence. We're fed up with people dying in our city. We just want a partner. Now, I know that uh, for, for some of you, it's you maybe you thought I got a little repetitive in the interview, and, and and I should be clear that I have zero against Cindy Carrasco. I actually think she has put together a rather solid campaign. It's just very difficult in Indianapolis, where you've got such a a built-in lead for the Democratic Party here. And I appreciate her coming on Cindy for Indy dot uh, com. It, it, it's that the it's one thing to say we have a crime problem. It's another thing to say, how are we going to handle it? People saying we want a partner? I, I, I don't say no to that. But it's imperative that whoever our elected leaders are, that they are able to stand up to other elected leaders and say, you're not doing it right. You're not handling this right. And that's what I want to start hearing from Cindy Carrasco, that she's not afraid to go to the mayor, to go to the city council, and be like, you people are just doing an awful job. Or maybe they wouldn't mind a, a new bit of of, of blood in there. They just have no way uh, of saying of the Democrat Ryan Mears, hey, this ain't working. Because I think it's pretty clear for a lot of people that this is not working. The city's not working. Indianapolis is not working. Marion County's not working. However you want to say it. And it's not the only city across the country. That, of course, is my point. My, my thanks to Cindy Carrasco for taking the time to be with us. More coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. As a state, it has to grow in all the places, not just in business, but in tourism as well. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. And I got with Gary Dick of InsideIndianaBusiness.com to talk about exactly that, tourism. And when fall yep. comes and you, there's a lot to see uh, in, in the state of uh, Indiana, we, we bring in the dollars. Is the problem that we don't do a good enough selling Indiana tourism or is the problem that simply Indiana cannot cannot compete with other states? Yeah, I, you know, if you talk to tourism uh, folks, uh, and and I have for a number of years, and they keep coming back to that to the same line of the fact that Indiana is so much uh, woefully really underfunded when it compares when compared to other states. Just here in the Midwest, as an example, I talked with Elaine Beadle, the CEO of the Indiana Destination Development Corporation, on the show this week, and she said their budget uh, is about four and a half million dollars, and then compares that to Michigan, the state of Michigan at forty million, Ohio thirty-five million, uh, Illinois ninety million. Uh, I think they're going to spend this year. So uh, when you're going up against states that have that those 
kinds of budgets to put into promotion, to put into activities game, uh, aimed at uh, getting people in the state into some of these uh, these events, you would seem to be at a disadvantage. The IDDC is right now in the process of gathering information, making that case that they're going to take the Indiana legislature budget session, uh, uh, budget writing session next year to go to ask for increased funding. Talking to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com. On Twitter, at IIB, just going through uh, the site, as as I often uh, do, um, there are a a series of things that took place last week in the markets, but none to me more bigger in terms of acquisition than Kroger purchasing Albertsons. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Does that have an effect specifically on the state of Indiana? Are there things here that change because of this $24 billion buy? Uh, Do we already engage some level of of whether it's uh, farmers or whether it's uh, uh, production facilities. I don't know to the extent Kroger is built in Indiana, the the, the level of the, the amount of infrastructure they have, but does this deal help us in any way, shape, or form? You know, I, I think tangentially, if you will, there could be some impact. As you mentioned, a massive deal, uh, big numbers to be sure. And Kroger, of course, is not headquartered here, but the presence here is, is very significant, uh, not only in terms of, uh, of brick-and-mortar stores uh, and the various locations around the state, but distribution facilities and those types of things. So as Kroger continues to grow its footprint, to get bigger, those operations stand to uh, potentially gain and they potentially get investment uh, going forward. So, so from that standpoint, I think we participate in that, uh, in that action. Uh, will be interesting to see, you know, the rich get bigger, the big get bigger. Uh, that is an industry, a grocery business that continues to evolve. And you look at, you know, where folks get their groceries now, whether it's Walmart or Costco or all these various uh, ways, it's a very different way of, of uh, how we get, the food that we need. Uh, So this is part and parcel, I think, of that competitive landscape in the grocery business that continues to get bigger and bigger. Now let's bring it to the story that dropped on Friday and made everybody in central Indiana say, I'm sorry, what is this? And that is the news that Starbucks on the circle is closing. They're saying safety, but you have people, uh, the manager of supremacy, you've got people at Rocket Fizz, other places saying, we don't think uh, the, the, the circle is unsafe. What do you know about this story, if anything specifically, and what does this say to the marketplace? Well, I, I think it's a, you, no matter how you spin it, uh, I, I think it's a black eye on, Indi- on downtown Indianapolis, and that's just just the way it is, no matter what the, again, the spin is as to why it happened. Uh, if Starbucks is saying there's a security issue uh, that is forcing them to close in such a high-profile location, an iconic location in our city, uh, Monument Circle, uh, I, I think that's that's not a good look for the city. And as this gets out beyond Indiana, I saw some cable news coverage uh, over the weekend on this closing that made national news. And as people around the country see that, um, it can potentially have an impact. And uh, I think it will be interesting to see how how this this plays out. But uh, to have a high-profile location like that, and it's very close to uh, where our office is. So I've been in that Starbucks on a number of occasions. And I will tell you just from my eyewitness, just from what I have witnessed there, there have been some situations while I've been there that made customers visibly uncomfortable 
And, uh, you know, whether those those are the things that led to this, I, I, I don't know. I, I can only report what I see or what I saw. And, but the bottom line is uh, uh, this uh, closing of this store at that look, especially at that location, uh, sends a message out that I think that city planners and others who, who really work hard at, at driving the convention business and other things like that uh, don't want to see. I am with you that I think there are things seen uh, at um, at specifically that location, at, at that uh, uh, Starbucks, that make you say, my gosh, what is happening here? And, and uh, the idea that, you know, they, we saw reporting of, they didn't call the police. There's only maybe one call in 2022. Um, I don't know if that means that there were calls from the actual store versus calls from other people. I can tell you how many police runs uh, that they had there. But these anecdotal stories, I, I find that the city is not so interested in the reality of them. And these seem very, very strong to me. Uh, the, these stories uh, about what, what it is people experience and how they feel uh, about downtown. And when you talk about tourism and you talk about this, uh, it seems that the city, in my view, is not so interested in a cause and effect situation here. It, it, have you had these conversations with anyone in the city? Are they aware of the problems that, that Hoosiers are seeing? I think there's an awareness there. You know, my conversations largely have been with uh, some business owners, those who do business downtown. And I can tell you over the last couple of years, there has been uh, a marked difference or a change, if you will, in um, in the narrative or in the, the perspective that these business owners or business people uh, who, who connect to downtown Indianapolis have about uh, about the downtown area. And safety is a concern. Uh, it is among uh, concerns there, which before was not as high, perhaps, on the list. But now it seems to be, uh, you know, ratcheting up to the to the top of the list of, of folks who do business downtown. I would only make the assumption that safety is a huge concern, but it's the perception of the city is not safe. That's not going away. My thanks to Gary Dick there from InsideIndianaBusiness.com. That perception of being unsafe is here, and the city's doing nothing to combat it. Find everything at TonyCats.Locals.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.